0: Thank you. Thank you, Bob, and uh, thank you for inviting me to be a part of the Proverbs Way of Wisdom series of messages. I'm thrilled to be back. Uh, Ilona and I are thrilled to be back because this is our home church, and though it's been 10 years, uh, we're coming back to a better version of what we left behind 10 years ago. We really are thrilled at what God is doing in your midst, Uh, the staff, the volunteers, the people who are making it happen. It's it's good to be back, so I, I thank you for inviting me to fit into this series. I want to talk with you today about guarding your heart, but really, the subject I want to talk about is the mother of all battles, which is one and the same with guarding your heart. And if you're old enough, you remember 1991, the mother of all battles began, at least that's what Saddam Hussein said, because you remember that Allied troops went into Iraq uh, to free Kuwait from the, the Iraqi invasion, and uh, they came from 26 nations, they came in mammoth numbers, it was amazing to watch the buildup. So when Saddam Hussein said, this is the mother of all battles, he had every reason to say that. Well, I think there's a place where we can use the title, the mother of all battles, for something else. And that is for you, for me. You may have never been in the service. You may have never been in the Middle East. Doesn't matter. But you're fighting what you know is the mother of all battles. It's the battle for the heart. And you're fighting that. You're struggling with that right now. Lots of us are. Lots of us have been not overseas, not in the service, but in the quiet places of your soul. When nobody else is listening, when you're not trying to perform for anybody, not trying to do the right thing, but you listen to your heart and you say, there's something going on there, and I want you to know that that is the mother of all battles. I've been there. I know something of what that's like. It is frightening when it comes. It's a place that we work so hard to avoid. We do almost anything to avoid the mother of all battles because it is so painful and so difficult. But when push comes to shove, if you're in the midst of it, you feel like quitting. You feel like walking away. You may look successful. You may be successful by the measurements of most people. But something's going on on the inside at the heart level, and you call it the mother of all battles. And you're ready to walk apart, away, away from it because things are, things are falling apart in the midst of your life on the inside. If you were here back in 2003, uh, you've heard me talk about the heart many times. I've, I've talked about the heart in as many places as I possibly can because I'm convinced this is a crucial issue for all of us. Now, you may know nothing about it right now, or you may have already been through it. I got an email after the first service that was online, not someone who was here, but someone who was online, said, thank you, thank you, I'm in the middle of it right now, and so were people who came to the service. They know what the mother of all battles is all about. It is the battle for the heart, and it's difficult when you get, especially in those quiet places, and you listen to what's going on on the inside, you realize there's something mixed up here. There's something missing in terms of what's going on on the inside of me. Well, for me, Beginning of this century, I like to say it that way. <laughs> Beginning of this century, I was right in the middle of it. And it was a time of self-discovery, of figuring out who I was, what I was, what I should be, what I needed to be. Uh, my counselor called it a light to moderate depression time. And so I sat on his couch for six months, and we finally came to a point where he said to me, I, I think you're okay. We could go further, but I think you're okay. You're coming through this thing okay. This battle uh, for the heart. Actually, I was just learning the basics of the heart. And and when I got to that point, I felt like I had graduated from, uh, I don't know, from preschool to kindergarten, because I was just at the beginning part of really getting a hold of this, and I continue to look for it today. I continue to read. I continue to listen to God. I continue to study to try to understand the heart. So you may have heard this before. I've said this many times. But it's my story. And my story involves me being here at the church. We came in 1981. This was around 2000. And I was losing motivation. I was losing uh, interest. I was just ready to quit. And I was ready to quit everything. But I didn't feel like I could, because I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a pastor. I can't do that. So it just went on and on and on and on. And I had an especially hard time with people that I related close to at, at church my staff in particular, we had a great staff, but I was killing them because of my loss of heart. One of them came to me one time (laughs) after an especially tense staff meeting, and he said to me, so Peter, can you identify when it was that you lost your heart? I thought to myself, what do you mean lost my heart? I was angry at the guy anyway. (laughs) Didn't know what to do with that. Here he is attacking me. You know, we know something about the heart. We know that what we learned comes into the mind, but it has to go to the heart or it doesn't get acted upon. It just stays in the mind. And it's wonderful information It may be true, but in order for it to become a reality in our lives, it has to go down to the heart. So we knew that. I knew that. We all know that. And in fact, as I talk about the subject, I have to tell you that I don't know everything there is to know about this subject. There's a whole lot of mystery where the heart is concerned. And it takes time and it takes years. And it takes listening to God and yielding to God. So I'm still learning, trying to get a hold of it, trying to live from the heart as God calls me to. The proverb for today is chapter four, verse 23. It reads, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That's an amazing statement. Above all else says, this is the mother of all battles. (laughs) This is it for your heart. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. And it gave me some idea of the importance of the subject of the heart and how we have to deal with it. Whether it's a critical point for us now or not, it can easily become that, and I can assure you of that. Even in the midst of effective ministry, of uh, loving the Lord, of all those things that you're doing, it can come. Above all else. So guard the heart. Why? Well, because it's the wellspring of life. That's why. The heart is the wellspring of life. But my problem was I couldn't find my heart. It had shriveled. It had maybe not disappeared, maybe not died, but it wasn't healthy. It wasn't strong like it was at one time in my experience of walking with God. It had shrunk. So I needed to back up, and you may need to also. If you think about guarding the heart, you first of all have to realize that you got a heart. And if you can't find your heart, you've got to set out to look for it and find it. Because God says, guard the heart. Okay, what is the heart? Well, the verse says it's the wellspring of life. And that would be understood by the original readers of this proverb because you always had a wellspring in the middle of a city where it could be guarded. A city would be formed around a wellspring, oasis you might call it. Whatever you call it, it's a self-sufficient source of water that comes out of the depths of the ground. So a city would be built around the wellspring. And then walls would be built because that could keep the enemy out, but the enemy could still lay siege to the city, and you couldn't protect yourself. You couldn't go out. You had to stay inside, almost like COVID-19. Had to have water. You couldn't sustain a city without water. A continual flow... Of fresh water. And so you can see how people listening to, to Solomon in these days would say, oh yeah, we're going to guard that. We've got to guard that. We can't defend ourselves if we don't guard the wellspring. Well, what Solomon is saying is not about the wellspring in a city, but the wellspring in you, the wellspring in me. He says there's a wellspring in each one of us that we have to guard. And that wellspring, according to him, is the heart the heart. That's what it's called. So let's go a little bit further. Let's, let's try to get a hold on this, if we can, because we can't, we can't deal with what we don't understand, at least in our minds. What is the heart? What does it mean? In a general sense, and this won't cover everything, but in a general sense, I would encourage you to think that the heart is the real me. It's, it's me. It's me. Now, I might be a pastor on the outside, but I need to be a pastor on the inside. I I might be a follower of Christ on the outside, but I need to be a follower of Christ from the inside, not just because I have to, not just because I'm afraid of hell, but because I'm in love with Jesus, and my heart is alive to him. That's what it means. My heart is the real me. So one of the terms that you can use to define the heart would be a reservoir. We were just up on Route 46 above... 287 where it connects with 80, and there's a reservoir for the city of of Jersey City. That's a reservoir. They get their water from there, and you better believe they're going to guard that reservoir. They're going to take care of it. Well, that's what it is. It's a reservoir, And and whatever I say or do comes ultimately, especially in those unguarded moments, from the reservoir. That's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 12. He says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. There it is, the heart. It comes out. It comes out. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Now, I know I can control my words and and my statements. I, I know that. But when I let my guard down, what comes out of my mouth, that's what's in my heart. Whether you're proud of it or you're embarrassed by it, the heart is speaking, especially in those unguarded moments. The heart is speaking. So if you want to think about it as a reservoir, that would be one way to think about the heart. A second thing to notice about it is that the heart, according to scripture, is the place where God works. He does his work in our hearts. Our minds? Yeah. In the mind? Yes. But like we say, if it doesn't go from the mind down to the heart, it's not going very far. It's not going to become a part of life. So this is where conviction takes place. This is where conversion takes place. It is at the heart level, not just the mind. Facts are important. Information's important. But it's got to go down to the heart. When Luke looks back at the day of Pentecost and he writes in chapter 2, he says, when the people heard this, this is the gospel, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. There it is. They were cut to the heart. Chapter 2, verse 37, and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Well, they understood the facts. They understood the Old Testament allusions to the Messiah who was coming, the promises. But it had to get further than that. It had to get to the heart. And when it did, they said, Oh, what do we do? What do we do? Because conviction had taken place at the heart level. When Peter is talking about the Gentile converts in chapter 15, he says, God, who knows The heart, that's what he says, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. God, he knows the heart. He sees more than just our hands and and, and just our minds and, and, and what we do and say. He knows what's in here, on the inside, in the reservoir, and that's where the conviction comes, and that's where conversion comes, in the heart. In fact, the Apostle Paul takes the Old Testament idea of circumcision and he renders it a different way, though he's following what Jeremiah had said years before, but most people had forgotten. He says in Romans 2.29, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Well, they had forgotten that. It had been said before in the Older Testament, but that was gone from most people's memory. They weren't paying attention to that, and so they were going through the rote. They were doing what they had to, what they needed to do. Now, he says there's something deeper than that that has to take place. See, it's conviction. It's conversion. It is the work of God that takes place in the heart, at the heart level. So what God is looking for back then and today is people who live from the heart, That's a term that comes up in the scriptures many times, and we sometimes think, oh, that's what Jesus said, or that's what Paul said. Yeah, they said that, but they're just linking back to what the Older Testament said long before that. In fact, what what Moses said, and God wanted. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 28, you'll hear the words, the Lord heard you when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people said to you, everything they said was good. What were they saying? They're saying, we we go with the covenant. We will obey the Lord God. We will follow after him. Count on it. We will do it. God says, I heard that. And Moses repeats to the people, God heard you. But listen to what verse 29 says. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments. It's wonderful that you stood up and said, oh, we'll do that. But God says it has to go beyond that. It has to originate from a heart that is flowing, that is alive, that is well, because he wants us to live, not because we have to, not because that's the only way to escape hell. That's not what he's after. He's he's after a heart that's filled with him and his love so that we operate out of that heart. Now, that's really a rapid sampling of what the Bible says about the heart. And you can find other places in the Bible that talk about the heart and will supplement what I've said and add to it. But I've, I've tried to get down to the core of what the Bible says and means when it talks about the heart. It is the reservoir. It is the place where God works. It is the place from which I am called to live as I walk with Christ. It's where we store up what's our greatest treasures, You know, what's most important to you is what occupies your heart. And Jesus says that will will be reflected in those unguarded moments when you act or talk. So if what comes out of you in an unguarded moment doesn't reflect Jesus, you got some work to do. Because we speak from the heart. So all of that makes it incredibly important that we guard the heart. And so Proverbs 4.23 says we have to guard this wellspring because it is so important. But I was losing heart. It wasn't a matter of guarding heart. I was having a hard time finding my heart. <laughs> and I was in ministry, doing all the things that you would expect a pastor to do. But I wasn't wholehearted. And that's another way that I'm coming to think of this term. I wasn't wholehearted. My heart wasn't completely in it. And it would come and it would go, but it wasn't where it ought to be. And I began to see that. I was losing heart. How could I guard what I was losing? If it wasn't staying there, then how could I how could I post a guard around it? Well, I got to thinking like most of us do, I'm just too busy. I I just got too many responsibilities. I just am doing too many things, carrying too heavy a load. So I'll tinker with it. I'll change my hours. I'll, I'll tell the board I've got responsibilities too many. I've I got to do something less. I'll, uh, I'll adjust my schedule. I'll do the kinds of things that will give me the, the heart that I had at one time. And that really looks like it when you're losing your heart. That's the funny thing about this. You know, when you're losing your heart, it seems like the issue is too much work or too many people responsible to you or, or too heavy a load to carry. And sometimes that's, that's all it is. So don't panic, sometimes that's all it is and you just need to adjust those things. But if you, like me, adjust those things and you don't come alive, then you've got work to do that's deeper than just your schedule and your responsibilities and that's what happened to me. I adjusted my schedule. I adjusted my workload. I I did things differently. I went to bed earlier. I could have been in bed right after supper the way I was feeling. I thought maybe I just need to rest more. Maybe I need to spend some time doing something else more, And and I tried those things, and it didn't go away. It didn't go away. The symptoms of a failing heart remained. You know, you go to your doctor, and you have something wrong, and we talk about the symptoms, and then she says, well, you need to try this and this and this, and, and that, that takes care of it. Well, I had symptoms that weren't going away with my home remedies. I guess that's the best way I can say it. What are the signs of a dying heart? What are the symptoms of a dying heart? Let me put them in several categories. There are emotional signs of a dying heart, and this isn't just for people in church ministry. This is for moms with a household of of kids, or a mom whose kids have lost home, left home. You know, it's the full nest or it's the empty nest. It can be any of us. It, it's, it's people who dig ditches as well as people who are bankers. It's pastors, missionaries. It's, it's all kinds of people, some who are 40, some who are older. Yeah, the emotional signs become apparent to you. In fact, the best way I can say it is your emotions go AWOL. They're just not there. You want them to be there. But they're not there. They are flatlined. And that's the way you operate. You're flatlined on emotions. And by the way, you have no idea how much that is draining the people around you, whether that's family or work, coworkers, or anybody else. I had no idea that I was a major part of the problem within my staff. I didn't know. I was emotionally unaware. My EQ was down to zero because my emotions weren't alive. My heart was not alive. I had largely gone to a, a picture of I, what I need to do is I need to study what the Bible says, and I need to go do it. That's it. And I, and I will live by this discipline, and I'm fairly disciplined. So I need to study what it says, and then I need to go do it. But in the midst of doing it, I'm wondering why I have no heart to do it. I, I don't want to go to that meeting. Are you kidding me? I don't want to prepare that message. No. But I still had to. And I'm a responsible guy. My dad taught me to be responsible, my mom did. So I'd do it anyway, even though there was no heart for it. I had learned to operate that way with a study and do kind of mentality. Truth was, I wanted to disappear. I wanted to have supper, go to bed, and stay there. That's what I wanted to do. But again, I was raised to be responsible. So I can't do that. There's too many people counting on me. Well, how could I do that? So I didn't, and I plotted on. And words like duty and obedience and should and ought became the language of my sermons and of my thinking. you got to do this. And if you're a Christian, you should do this. And if you're a Christian, you must do this. And if you want to walk with God, you have to do this. Somewhere in the process, the desire had disappeared the desire to walk with God, the desire to be in his word, the desire to be alone with him. I don't know where it went. It just went. But it's a part of that emotional issue in terms of my heart. And the, the further problem for me was everybody defines the should and the ought differently. So as a leader, I'm bounced back and forth from here to there and here to there, and I try this and I try that. and I, try. I, I, couldn't, I, I didn't have the emotional health to say, no, this is what we need to do. Let's just go do it. I couldn't smell the roses. People told me the roses smell. <laughs> I couldn't smell them. I, I, I'd, I'd look at the sunset and, set and say, what a beautiful sunset. But I'd yawn when I said it. You know? I, I, uh, I'd say that I weep with your pain, but I didn't have any tears. Figuratively or literally. I just wasn't all there. And it was my heart. I lost my sense of wonder. Things didn't thrill me anymore. Things in nature or things in my life. They just didn't thrill me. Okay, okay. You know the term that's out of date now? Whatever. Yeah, that's what I lived by. Okay, whatever. And I didn't know how much I hurt. I wasn't self-aware enough to know what was going on in my heart. I just knew that I, I had to be a good pastor. I had to be a good father. I had to be a good husband. Those were the roles that God had given me, and I never wanted to leave those roles. I just didn't feel like doing them anymore. That's the way it was. Well, those are emotional signs of a heart that is in trouble. As a result, you can understand why there would be relational signs, because if your heart is not alive and healthy, then relationships are based on, on a heart that's full, and, and relationships are built in fact, we talk about having a relationship with God. <laughs> Where does that go when your heart is missing? It goes someplace that you don't want it to go. And if our, if our relationships wither and die, then we're even more alone than we were before. And it feeds this thing that's going on in us that's killing, killing our hearts. I said before, I took on a study and do approach to life. I study this and I go do it. <laughs> Try that in your relationships. Try that with your husband or wife. Yeah. You know, I read a book, because this is a book about being a good husband, and I see that this guy who's a good husband, what's he do? Well, he buys flowers for his wife. So I go buy flowers for my wife. I make my checklist. I buy flowers for my wife, and I bring them home, but she's allergic to flowers. So what good does that do? But it was on the list. This guy comes... Gets home from work, and they spend time, quality time talking. Well, that's a wonderful idea, but I work midnight shift, and when I get home, she doesn't want to talk. That's just the way it is. But it's trying to get these things to do and get them in the right order and do them, and do them. He gets his, church to, his family to church every time the door opens, so that's what we're going to do. Of course, we fight like cats and dogs on the way, but we get there in time for church you can get some sense of what it's uh, all about. Relationships have to come from the heart. And if the heart is dying, the relationships are not going to thrive. They just can't because they need the heart. And then there are spiritual signs. And these are surely the ones that are underlying everything else. I said before that we think of Christianity and we speak of it as a relationship with God, not a religion. Well, when the heart goes, it's just a religion, friends. And there's a relationship with God because he doesn't forget. and He doesn't let us go. I'm here today. That's proof that he doesn't let us go. But as far as you're concerned, it's really a bunch of things you have to do. It's requirements for living the Christian life. It's not a relationship. One of the most jarring questions that I had to face when I was in the middle of this was in a workbook from The Sacred Romance by John Eldridge. I was getting together with some other guys uh, on every Wednesday morning at one of their houses because we were going through the same kind of thing together. And so, so you do the workbook ahead of time for the Sacred Romance, and then we'd come and talk about it. And I still remember the question that came on it at one point: where uh, li- make a list of of uh, the people who are your best friends, and and beside each person or group of people, put a reason why the, they're your best friends. And then here's the question. After you do that, you take the time to do that, where is Jesus on your list? I looked at my list. He wasn't there. He just didn't make the list. It's not that he was number six out of ten, or number ten out of ten. He wasn't there. Did I love him? Absolutely. Would I obey him in every way I knew how? Would I tell others about him? Sure I would. Would I talk about when he rescued my life from, from the chains that, I, that I'd grown into when I was 22 years old? Sure. Sure I'd talk about that. But did I hunger to spend time with him? No. That's what you do with a friend, isn't it? And the time you spend with your friend, you want more of it because they're your best friend. That's what you do with friends. But if your heart is dying, you don't want to do that, even with Jesus. I remember singing a song probably a long history ago, Better is One Day in Your Courts Than a Thousand other- Elsewhere. You know that song? It comes out of the Psalms. It's a great song. I didn't feel it. But I sang it because we all sang it, and you had to sing it. What am I going to do? Not sing it? I'm the pastor. Come on. So I sang it, but it wasn't there. It wasn't there. I didn't care about it. You see, if the heart is the place where the genuine work of God takes place, and the heart has been smothered by something, and, and the heart is is cold and dying and maybe dead, I don't think it completely dies, but, but it's so covered up over the years, then then what's gonna happen in us? And the truth is that nothing's gonna happen except the direct intervention of God to yank us back to the reality of what's going on in our hearts. And that can come through a number of ways. I I went out to the Wild at Heart boot camp. um, And while I was there, I met a guy uh, who was there. This is the author of the Sacred Romance, wrote Wild at Heart, and they had a boot camp. And guys would come for the weekend was in Colorado, and another guy from the church, and I went. And it was an especially difficult time here at the church because one of the things that I had promoted was being refused and saying no, with good reason as I look back, by the way. <laughs> but it was an especially hard time, and my heart was in trouble, so I wasn't taking it very well. And, and so I was really depressed as I went out there. And, and I, I bumped into a guy, a guy my age, pastor, who was there ostensibly for the same reason that I was there, And I asked him about himself, and I said, why why are you here? And he said, it started when I picked up the sacred romance and began to read it, and I began to weep. He said, so I went for a walk. Then he said, I came back and I started to read the sacred romance again, and I began to weep. I began to weep. And I knew that God had work to do in my heart. That was my story. He said it, but it was really my story. My story. My heart was dying. Maybe yours is too. I had people come to me after the first service to talk about what's going on in their heart or what's not going on in their hearts. I had that email that came in from somebody who was watching online. It happens, don't be ashamed of it. It happens. You didn't mean it to happen. I didn't mean it to happen. I was trying to do the right things. Say the right things. Be the right thing. It still happens. That was my story. And maybe you're tracking with me and you're saying, yeah, I think that's where I am. And I see it in this, and I see it in this, and I see it in this. So what do you do? What do you do? I don't have three easy steps for regaining your heart. Cancel that. I don't have that. That doesn't work. I tried everything I knew before I started on this journey. What do you do? Well, first of all, you have to admit that you're there, you know? And that's a hard one, but that's number 1. I mean, if I don't admit that I've got problems, I can't fix them. I can't allow God to fix them because I don't have problems, Lord. So the first step is, if you're hearing my words and you're saying, "Yeah, I'm there. I know what he's talking about because I'm feeling it." I'm not a pastor, but I'm but I'm a plumber. And I feel it when I go to work. I'm I'm not married. But I'm all alone and I feel it. Admit it. Admit that you have lost your heart or you are losing your heart. Second, commit to the journey of recovering your heart. Because that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a journey. It will not be one, two, three easy steps. Just do these things and everything will be fine. That's... That's not true. It ain't going to do that. You're not going to pick up one book and say, oh, this solved my problem, or go to a doc and get one shot or one pill, and it's all okay. That's that's not what's going to happen. So if you admit that you are losing your heart, then the next step is to commit yourself to the journey of regaining your heart. Third, and this is crucial, sit with God in quiet places. Don't try to accomplish anything. Don't try to do anything. If you want to listen to worship music, that's fine. If you want to read your Bible, that's fine. If you've got something like sacred romance to read, that's fine. But this is really for the purpose of being quiet before God. And those other things might prompt you to relate to God in a way that's open and honest, and that's fine. But be glad if you just sit there and weep. That's not bad. That's not bad. You need quiet places where God can minister to the heart, to the soul. You don't have to accomplish anything. That's what you've been trying to do. You just need to be quiet before God. I had a place up here behind the soccer fields at Pleasant Valley Park. I had another park that I used to go to. I've forgotten the name now that I used to go to. I'd just sit there, and sometimes I'd read nothing. Sometimes I'd listen to nothing. I'd just weep or listen for God's voice. You need to sit in the quiet places where there's not a lot of noise to distract you. Quiet places of the heart. And then finally, you need to travel with others. You're not meant to do this alone. You need others to help you on the journey. One of my others was a counselor, professional counselor, to whom I had sent people prior to that time. I had to go to him. Six months, I had to go to him. He said, okay, I think we're okay now. You can stay longer if you want to, but I think you're in a better place. And I was. So I stopped. I needed that. I needed that professional perspective to look at me and look at where I came from and where I was misreading things. And he helped me do that. And then I needed other friends who were in a similar stage of life. Tony Iannikon was a guy here at the church and still here. Um, And his wife was sick, and there were hard times. So I went to Tony, and I said, Tony, I need to meet with you. And he said, you need to meet with me, what? I said, I need to meet with you because I think you're in some of the same spots I'm in. And we agreed that we'd meet together, and we decided we're going to find a couple of other guys. So most of you won't know Acquite, a Ajay, but Akwite had just lost his job, professional guy in the pharma industry. We went to Akwite and said, Akwite, this is what we need to do. Do you want to join us? And he did. And Dave Brooks, professional businessman, accountant, said, Dave, would you join us? He said, Absolutely. So every Wednesday, we met over at Tony's house before work and we went through the journal for Sacred Romance. And the journal is not magic. But what it does is it brings us to this issue of the heart and what we can do about it. You can't do this alone. You have to travel with others who can help you go down that road and keep you going when you don't feel up to it. Bible says, above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. Some of you are ready to do that. And some of you have already been doing that. But some of you are like me. You can't figure out what happened to your heart. It doesn't seem to be there to guard. So what you've got to do, if you've got to set out on recovering your heart. I'd love to help you in that if I can. Staff here at church would love to help you. I know that. But I put some resources in the handout that's online that you might look at. One of them is a weekly podcast I listen to every week. It's called wildatheart.org. It's John Eldridge and other people on the team there. And they know how to talk about this thing in terms that I wouldn't know unless I came across somebody like them. Every Monday morning, it's posted. I listen to it on Tuesday morning because I need it. I need to be reminded. That website will also give you access to books and other, uh, other, other Resources that you can use. But one of those is one I first stumbled across, uh, Sacred Romance by John Eldridge. And the funny thing is, another guy in my life had, had offered to give me that book, so I bought a copy years before that, but I didn't need it. Or I didn't know I needed it. I had to get to this place where I really needed help. And then when I picked up Sacred Romance, I thought, oh, this is what I need. This is what I need. A third resource I put on there is Pete Cicero's book. He's got a whole bunch of books now called Emotionally Healthy. This was spirituality, but he's got other Emotionally Healthy Leaders, Emotionally Healthy Churches, those kinds of things. Uh, He's tapped into some really good thinking, too, so that'd be a source I'd send you to. And then the final one on on a a few of what could be a long list is Brennan Manning. Um, He's written a bunch of books, but one of his books is uh, Abba's Child and Abba's child just walked me down a road that I desperately needed in my own heart. Manning is in heaven now, but he was a Catholic priest, and, and he came to a place where his heart was gone. He was dead, and so he began to see who Jesus was in a fresh way that he had either forgotten or never known. So, so I commend you to that, because I can't just give you three steps. This is the journey you have to take if your heart needs to be recovered, If it doesn't, oh, guard it. Guard it. Do everything you can. It is the mother of all battles. So guard your heart. Now I'd like to pray. And uh, when I pray, I'd like to pray for you. And uh, once we close your eyes and you're not embarrassed to do it, if, uh, if you really want to hear what God has to say and you want to tell him that, just put your hands out like this. My hands are empty, Lord. I got nothing in them, but I bring them to you because I need your fullness. I need you, Jesus. That's who I need. So let's pray together. I need you, Jesus. I've learned some things about the heart, Lord, but there's more to learn. And there's more to relearn. And I never get it completely. So thank you, Lord, that you never let go. You're always there beckoning us, calling us to walk with you, not just mechanically and because we have to, but because our hearts are tuned aright. I pray for my friends, Lord. Some, based on my knowledge of other places where I've given this message and the first service, they've lost their heart, or they, they're losing their heart, and they need to go back and get it back again, Lord. So would you guide them through that walk, that journey, that process? Others, Lord, are in great shape, and they need to guard their hearts. Would you walk them through that process as well? That you might be glorified, that their families might, might be fed by the life that comes out of them, that their, their friends and their colleagues might find a source of life that is genuine. It is a wellspring, and it feeds others around them. But most of all, Lord, so that you might be glorified. We'll thank you for what you do, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.